right, so uh, can you read this promise with me? Come on, read this with me. But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Do you believe that, church? Tell your neighbor that. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. <clears throat> That's the heritage of the Lord. We've been in this series since January, When I Grow Up. Say, When I Grow Up. You're in a process, I'm in a process of growing up, and I know that in the Lord, and the good thing in the Lord, there's always more. There's always more. There's new levels he can take us to. There's new things we can grow in. There's new things we can experience. We can go back to the old things and experience them in a deeper way or in another perspective because the word of God's even living and active. So you can read and go back through chapters you've read a hundred times and they have new life. Aren't you glad in God? You can keep growing and that you don't have to get stagnant. You don't have to dry up. You, you can keep growing. And so we've been talking about that the last few weeks. And again, let's just go this passage concerning Jesus and how he grew, and I want to tie it again to some stuff we shared last week about spiritual disciplines. So Luke 12, 52, this is when Jesus was, uh, you know, I'm sorry, this is, I think this is Luke 2, 52. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. So he grew in wisdom, say wisdom, and stature and favor with God and all the people. And so four dimensions of his growing up here that he experienced even as a young child. People marveled at his, his hunger and his insight and his wisdom. And here when this was quoted, he was found with, with the priests, the Levites, and, and they were discussing things in the synagogue. And these four dimensions of growth are for you and me today. It says he grew in wisdom. That means the mental, emotional, intellectual capacity he was raised just like a regular child. He, he was raised like you and me. Scripture said he was, he was born of the flesh. And so he went through things that you and me would go through in childhood. And, and he, he grew the same way. He grew by reading the word of God. He grew by allowing the Psalms and the prophets speak and define who he was supposed to be as Messiah. And so he grew in wisdom. Wisdom also means when you grow in wisdom, you get to step back your world's really focused as a child. We, we looked at it a couple weeks ago when, when babies are born up until the first few months, they can only really focus into 14 inches in front of their face. They have a real limited worldview. But when you grow up, you grow in wisdom, you have the capacity to see the bigger picture. So maturity brings that, that ability to see the bigger picture. And he also grew in stature. Now, some might just say that has to do with physical size. But when, when the word stature is used of other things, like that company has some real stature in the technology business. That means that company has some weightiness. That company has impact. And so for you and me to grow in stature could mean that we are growing in weightiness, not this kind of weightiness, but I'm talking about influence weightiness. The ability to, to have an influence, to have an impact. And Jesus grew that way as, as from a child he moved forward. And then he grew in favor with God. How many are thankful for favor with God? 
Uh, we've seen it, and my family's seen it, and they're nothing beats favor. I, I thank God for justice, but in my personal life, I'd rather have grace and favor than justice. Because if I got, just got justice, I would have been fried a long time ago. But, but I'm grateful for mercy and God's grace and favor. How about you? And so scripture says that Jesus grew in favor with God. In other words, understanding God's principles and priorities. And so he had to grow in that too. He had to grow in understanding of the kingdom and how it works. And, and as he was operating and growing and began to minister in those principles, he, he enjoyed God's presence. When I think about God's favor, it's just not God doing favors for me and, and doing just special things for me and just answering my prayers and my wish list. But when you grow in favor, there's something about the presence of God on your life. And so the favor of God's tied to the presence of God. It's tied to the fear of the Lord. Scripture said brings favor. And so God, Jesus grew in that just like you and me can grow in that. Aren't you glad? And then he grew in favor with people. So what he carried, people wanted. What was on him, what he was abiding in him, and it was God's love and the spirit of God, people wanted. He was attractional. And so when you and me began to grow in favor with God and favor with people, there's something attractional about our lives. So that's a good goal. A good goal is to say, God, I, I see in your word how Jesus matured, and I thank you that I have the same processes going on in my life, that I can have favor with you, Lord, and that I can have favor with people and influence and stature that'll make a difference around me and in my family. Amen? And so we talked about some of those, those principles about growing up and, uh, and what happened with Jesus as he matured and he grew. He didn't see life through the eyes of a Hebrew carpenter and a carpenter's apprentice. As he grew, he began to see life through God's eyes. He began to see life, how, how, how God would look at people, how the Father would see situations, how the Father would, would look at things that to the world seemed impossible. But when you see life through the Lord's eyes, through the Father's eyes, even impossible things, you can say there's something good that's going to come out of this. There's a story that's going to come out of this. There's a breakthrough that's going to come out of this. And so growing in wisdom allows us to step back and say, Father, even this thing that looks so difficult and so out of control and so chaotic right now, I thank you, Lord, as I mature, I can see things through your eyes. I can see things through your heart. And as we mature in that, it just takes on a new perspective and a new dimension. So when storms come and the winds blow and, and things look contrary, there's not a panic that sets in. There's a stepping back that says, Lord, I, I, I want to see what's going on now with your insight and your wisdom and with your heart. Amen? And in that, in that maturity that comes when we're, we're growing and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and the Holy Spirit to really show us the unseen things behind what's going on. And the Holy Spirit, he promised, we, we sang about his promises to me. He, he promised that the Holy Spirit, he searches the hearts and minds of God to reveal things to us, that, things that are given to us. And so in relationship with him, as we grow in stature, maturity, and favor, there's also a discernment where we can see life with a new perspective. How many want that? You know, the, the gals did that, that dance, and it was about hunger. It was about hunger. And when, when I think about growing up and my idea about God and, and even the cross and seeing Jesus crucified on the cross, there was this religious thing. It was like two lives. It was the religious life and the church life. But then there was other times where I just had this hunger just to know God. 
Just even as a little kid in the Catholic Church, there's holidays where, you know, we would be singing, the presence of God still touched my heart even as a kid. And as a kid, there was moments, I can still think of a few, where where just this like passion was kindled where I really want to know God. I really want to just have relationship with God. And I'm grateful he answered those prayers years later. How about you? And I don't want to start tearing up. God is good, and it's good to stay hungrier for God. Amen? So last week we moved into this, just, just this idea how Jesus lived. And, and if we're going to have a life and experience a life how Jesus lived it, then there's some spiritual disciplines that we began talking about last week. And this is an amazing promise, and you that were here last week, we unpacked some of this. But here Jesus says to his disciples, and this is Matthew 11, and this is after he's been talking about the kingdom and doing miracles, and people are coming to him. And I imagine life was getting a little complicated. There's people coming and going. The priests wanted to talk to him, and, and even people coming from foreign countries, the rich young ruler. There's, there's people that were putting a demand on Jesus. And he said this, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heaven burdens, and I'll give rest, give you rest. Doesn't rest sound good sometimes? I'll give you rest. And so th- this invitation into a life that he said it, it, it's not chaotic, it's wondering what's going on. And for that kind of life, we started looking at last week. I really believe he invites us into a set of spiritual disciplines that'll help us maintain that kind of life. And believe me, it's one thing to study it out and to present it, but I get to live it just like you. And, and I have to make decisions just like you. And I, and I have to make uh, choices in the morning, like how to start my morning and what to meditate on and what to think about. And so I, I have those same choices just like you. But I know this as I exercise spiritual disciplines along a certain line of growth. Guess what? It's impossible to sow and not reap. And so if you start exercising spiritual disciplines in a certain way, it's impossible not to grow in that area. It's impossible not to have more peace in that area as we exercise those spiritual disciplines. Are you with me this morning, church? So spiritual disciplines are tools, and I brought my tool bag again because I only got a little bit in it last, last week. But just kind of as examples, I, I brought again some things. And what, what happened last week in first service, I got farther through this. In second service, we started talking about the vision for Santa Maria and what Mike's doing down there. Got so excited about that, I never got to my message. So the, the, they, they didn't get to see any of this last week, what we started with. So I have more to do in second service. Anyway, spiritual disciplines say tools. <clears throat> tools. I, I, I love this. I hate just giving an assignment or somebody telling you, go ahead and do something without some kind of the how-to plan. You know, just laying things, demands on you without telling you how to do it is kind of frustrating, right? Well, when we look at spiritual disciplines, they're, they're really like tools that God gave us to help us grow. And these tools help us with intimacy and they help us position ourselves in the assignments to be fruitful that God's given us. So I want to talk about some of these disciplines in regards as tools. Last week we talked about solitude, remember? And so solitude, I had my earplugs and my duct tape. And for you that weren't here, I probably won't do it again. But duct duct tape on my mouth, earplugs in, the idea that God... God calls us sometimes just to shut out the hecticness and, and, and just to get alone with him. And sometimes that's a walk through a meadow. Sometimes for me, 
I've, I probably literally, if I added them up, I don't know, probably a thousand miles on Pismo Beach through the years, just walking and praying. Some of these February days or March days after the rains stop and the wind turns offshore and there's nobody down there, whoo, baby, you can, you can like see God on display and hear his voice. And, and so that idea of solitude so we can nurture a, a hearing ear and have communion with him is huge, Right? And so we looked at that in, in Jesus' life. Mark 1 it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, the morning people are going, uh, some of you are just going to bed right then. And so, but Jesus, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So he himself often withdrew in the wilderness and prayed. In several places in the Gospels, we hear that same theme, that Jesus spent time with the Father. If we're going to grow in relationship with anybody, we need to spend time with them, right? Jen and I, when we were dating, I moved to the Bay Area, and she was in San Diego for really almost a year, the year that uh, right before we got married when we were engaged. And back then, we didn't have cell phones and all those things, but they had a Watts line. Does anybody remember what a Watts line is? So it was an 800 number that Ohio Petroleum was using to call all over the world, and it was free. And so I would wait till 5.15 when everybody else left so I could use the Watts line and call Jan in San Diego. And I was ex- so excited just, just to, to make that connection. And, you know, now you have all kinds of devices. You can stay in touch all the time. But I waited. I was looking forward to those connections when we could talk. Uh, and just, you know, have community, have some fellowship together. How many believe that God waits for you and me with that same kind of heart? Do you believe the Father really desires to talk with you and have intimate relationship and intimate conversation with you? So when you carve out and say, instead of going and doing this, 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 this tomorrow morning, I'm going to my secret place, and I'm going to hang out with God for a little while. And Father, I just want to meet you there. I want to talk to you there. Do you you think his heart gets excited about that too? Just like if you made a date with somebody, they're looking forward to it. When you say that to the Father, God, I just want to meet and connect with you tomorrow. Don't you think that makes his heart happy too? And and here's a couple more promises. And he had dismissed them. He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. So earlier we saw he was in the morning and now he's there in the evening. And uh, in Mark 6, now they're all together, and it's just gotten crazy. And it says, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He called his disciples into just that, that solitude and that, that place of just being able to quiet themselves, to be able to connect again with him. Because if we don't stay connected with him, we really don't have much to give away. Have you ever found that out? I know the best thing I have to give away is the life of Christ in me. You know, if if you knew me before Christ, you wouldn't want nothing that came out of this guy. And in Christ, though, there's things to offer. There's things that encourage. There's words that will increase. And so that is so dependent on me staying connected with him. And so, you know, other tools we talked about last week for, I I have a journal in here and, and things that I've done just, here's this, I, I think it's harder to pray when you don't have a prayer guide. And so Batterson's 40 Days Prayer Challenge has helped me. And there's been other things that I, I've used. There's online devotionals for prayer. Just, just different things. Um, who's the guy that, not Eastman, uh, 
it's before all the internet stuff came, it's a thick blue book that had all kinds of prayers by prayer warriors in it. And praying God's word, we were together in a prayer circle here on Friday night and John Alcorn brought out his, he started praying Ephesians prayer. I'll get to it in a few minutes, but just praying God's word to have a plan and a devotional time, in your devotional time just to connect with God's important. Because without a plan, often we don't get to it, right? Well, maybe that's just me. You, you're so disciplined, you do it anyway. Jesus said it this way. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners in the synagogues where everyone sees them. I tell you the truth, that is their reward. They'll ever get. But you, what? Not if you pray, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Now, there's times for corporate prayer, and we see that in Scripture. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, there's probably 120 people in that room. But there's other times when we call it a personal relationship that God just wants to get personal with you and me. He, he just wants us one-on-one, just spending time with him. And he says, when you pray, go by yourself and shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. And then your father who sees everything will reward you. There was another practice, and it's another spiritual discipline we don't talk about anymore. But in the old church, the, the, you know, probably the Pentecost church of the early 1900s, there's the spiritual discipline of tarrying. Anybody remember that word? Tarry, because it came out of Acts. So tarry in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This idea that I, I sit and wait until the power comes. I sit and wait till the glory fills me. I, I've experienced that a few times, but not nearly enough where I, I determined to, I, I'm not getting up, God, till you come and you fill me and there's a fresh strength. And, and you know what I brought for that? I brought knee pads. I brought knee pads. This idea that I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay here, God, until you come, until you fill me. I'm gonna take a position before you, Lord, because I need answers. And I'm gonna tarry here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait until my heart is filled again, until this weight is off me, until this frustration lifts, because you promised me these things. And, 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 and to pray with that intensity and pray with that, that, that just... Uh, I guess it would be a Holy Ghost stubbornness. I'm not moving till heaven comes. And that's what the circle maker's about. You draw a circle and say, God, I, I, I'm gonna stay in this thing till I get an answer with that kind of a heart and, and that kind of commitment, amen? And so he says, when you pray, go in and, and seek your father in the secret place and, and where you meet secretly, he says there's gonna be a reward. There's an open reward. Some translation says, what you do in secret, the Father rewards you openly. And I've seen that reward, and so have you. When, when you've been doing things in your own strength, you've been doing things in your own power, and you see this door shut and that door shut, and you get to a place where you're on your knees and say, God, I need a little help here. You ever prayed those kind of prayers? God, I just need a little help here. I need, I need a little favor right now. I need a little something to kick through. Because right now, Lord, how I'm feeling is really contrary to what I see your, your, your plan about joy and your, your, your will for. And, and when we tarry in that place and stay at it, we can expect God to answer. Do you believe that, church? Amen. This is what Bob Sorge said when heaven invades earth. He says, the nature of the enemy's warfare in your life is to cause you to become discouraged and to cast away your confidence. Not that you would necessarily discard your salvation, but you could give up your hope of God's deliverance and the enemy wants to numb you into, into a coping kind of Christianity. That's what, that's what I caught out of that. 
He wants to numb you into just a coping kind of Christianity that has given up hope on seeing God's resurrection power. That's why we need the secret place. When, when you're into a coping kind of Christianity, when you feel like, you know, just day after day, you just kind of getting tossed around and beat up and there's no victory, that, that's what you got tools for. That's what you have the tool of fasting for. That's what you have the tool of the secret place for. That's what you have the tool of just, just declaration for and the, and the tool of praise for because you just don't want to go through coping Christianity. Amen? People give up in coping Christianity. And coping Christianity to the world, they might have some kind of an appreciation that you endure and that you don't fold and that you don't go psychotic or back to medicating with drugs and all those things. They probably have an appreciation for that when they watch what you and me go through, but when they watch us go through it in joy, when they watch us go through things with an anticipation that God's gonna show up in the middle of this thing, it's an attractional plus in the kingdom of God, amen? The discipline of the secret place, sometimes it's just like, I'm gonna stay here till the exchange is made. Lord, you promised grace for my struggle. Lord, you promised strength for my weakness. You promised beauty for my ashes. You promised the oil of joy for mourning. And believe me, I, I am uh, you know, preaching this today, and, and not to just be heavy about all this, but over the last three weeks, I've lost three people that are pretty significant that I was contending for. And believe me, to, to say I'm gonna have to stand and rejoice that song we were just singing at the end, it doesn't matter how I feel, my hope, Jared, what is it? My hope will always be your promises to me. Thank you. We sang it enough times, I should remember it. But anyway, I, you know, a few weeks ago, we lost um, uh, the Holland boy. We lost Drew Holland. And I'm still carrying that. And then last week, my neighbor died, Mary, of cancer, 50-some years old. We were praying for her and believing for her. And last night, Ryan Teixeira, who's this young man that's been in the news, his family's Christian, the, he went through this bone marrow transplant, everything was going good, and all of a sudden, there's complications. And I was over at my brother's house late last night, just giving him some material for the family, because the family's devastated. And when you feel those things, and they get on you, I have a choice, just like you have a choice. I can let the weight of grief just, just try and... You know, it seems like it kind of creeps up and then tries to grip your heart. Or I can, I can lift my hands and just begin by, by faith just to praise God and thank God for his plan and thank God for his purpose. All three of them are in heaven, so I can't feel bad about that. All three of them are, are, are rejoicing today in heaven. But there's those other questions like what, what went wrong and why didn't it go exactly like we planned and those seeds that come in that I have to work through just like you do. So in the discipline of the secret place, I have to have an exchange, Lord. I, I give you my grief for my friends and for the families, God. I give you my grief again, and I thank you for joy and hope filling my heart. I thank you, God, that, that your word is live and real, and sometimes you have to stay in the secret place until the word begins to speak. It's not a chapter contest, right? It, it's not a race. It's I'm gonna stay in the secret place, God, till your word speaks to me till my devotional speaks to me. So I have something to chew on. So I have, have some food for my soul. And then tearing or staying that place until you, you sense the victory and you sense the, the presence of God with you. And I like what Oral Roberts said when we were at a pastor's meeting. Some asked him about fasting. 
And he took us back to scripture where, where John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and they said, why do, why do John's disciples fast and your disciples don't fast? And, he, and this is what Jesus said. Well, when the bridegroom's with you, there's no need to fast. But when the bridegroom leaves, then you'll be fasting. Oral Roberts says, I only fast when I don't feel the bridegroom's with me. When I don't feel his presence, that's when I fast. That's when I'm in my secret place and, to, and renewing my strength in the presence of God. Amen? Somebody said it this way, when you neglect the secret place, he's not disappointed in you. He's what? He's disappointed for you because he knows what happens in the power of the secret place. So, and building on that more, this is, this is what happened instead of scripture when Jesus was in an encounter with the Father. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. I picked that picture because I think Jesus is a lot happier than most pictures that I see of him. I think Jesus is a lot more joyful, a lot more positive. And, and what would happen when he would seek face-to-face with his father? Scripture said here he's face-to-face and his appearance was transformed. Have you ever seen God put a smile or felt God put a smile on your face? Or joy back into your heart or a bounce back into your step or, or, or faith to go another, another stretch? Jesus was in the presence of the Father with the guys, his guys. And scripture said that the, the presence of God came and his appearance was transformed. And I'll just be honest with you, some of you need to look in the mirror and spend a little time there. Get, get, that, get that countenance transformed. Get, get the frown turned upside down and, and the smile back on your face, amen? And you know, there's always choices. Which way I look? Somebody says, how you doing? I said, just depends on which way I look. But, but if I look towards the Lord and I keep my focus on the Lord and, and the, the presence of the Lord in my life, that's, that's the kind of countenance I want. How about you? That's when Moses said, when he's leading the children of Israel out and he just got hungry in Exodus 33. And he says, Father, unless your presence goes with me, we're not going anywhere. Show me your glory. He said, show me your glory. And God said, I can't show you my face, but I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna put you up in this rock. And then he said, and all my goodness is gonna pass before you. Well, when that happened, the next chapter talks about Moses ascending to Mount Sinai and his face did the very same thing. The presence of God was on his face and scripture said he had to cover it in front of the people because it was so amazing, so, so bright and so overwhelming. And so when you get in the presence of God and I get in the presence of God, it should affect our countenance, amen? Tell your neighbor that. No, never mind. You, you need a little encounter. Just tell them that. No. No spiritual discipline is more important than intake of God's word. So if we're going through these spiritual disciplines and somewhere in here I have just as a tool the Bible promise book. Anybody got any of these? And when I was a new Christian, I had a Bible promise book because I didn't know much about the scripture at all. So I just need topics to study. Like this one's on humility and here's one I have a, a little marker in. It's for long life. It's the promises we're praying over people when they're going through sickness. There's like 25 promises concerning long life or maybe more than that. And so there's nothing like that replaces the word as a tool and a sword. Amen? It's the word of God that Jesus used to defeat the enemy and to keep him at bay. And it's the same tool that you and me used, and we spent a little time on that last week. There's the discipline of praying God's word. And John, John shared this uh, with us, again, reminded us this Friday night. 
that if you're saying I'm having trouble with tools and, and how to get moving and how to stay moving with God, just, just praying the prayers that are in, in the New Testament are powerful. And Ephesians 1, he says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus, this is Paul saying it, Ephesians 1, and he's making a prayer for them. And for you and me to pray God's word, we just change some of the pronouns instead of what second person or third person Paul's praying for, we just make it personal. So he, he's claimed this. This is, this is uh, John was sharing this the other night, how he just switched the words up. Well, Paul says here, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you, so that's Paul's prayer, and then when we make it personal, you say to give me spiritual wisdom and insight so that I might grow in the knowledge of God. Do you think God answers his own word? In Isaiah, what does he say? In Isaiah 55, he, he said, as his rain comes down from heaven, waters the earth, so does his word come forth from his mouth, and it doesn't return into him void, but accomplishes the thing he sent it to do. When you're praying God's prayer and God's word, man, it's releasing power. It, it's gonna happen. You believe that?